So, welcome to One More Round, the new weekly podcast here to discuss what's going on in the sporting world today. My name is Glenn and I'm joined here with Stephen and Chris. Uh, sure, why don't we start off with the two of you telling us a bit about yourselves, like who you support and whatnot. Stephen, I'll let you go first. Thank you very much, Chris. Um, my name is Stephen O'Reilly. I'm a supporter of Manchester United in football, San Diego Chargers in American football, um, Cork and most other things, and Munster, although you'll probably learn that that's a bit of a... Um, a bit of a moving goalpost scenario Chris? Uh, I'm a massive Liverpool fan uh, Leinster in Ireland of course and then my other big passion would be the UFC uh, Conor McGregor obviously bringing it to Ireland has helped with that and I got to go to my first event so they'd be my major interests Very good and uh, so my name's Glenn Clinton and uh, I'd be a big Man United fan uh, I'm a season ticket holder with Leinster Rugby and uh, also a big Irish rugby fan. Um, I suppose the three of us are all heading over to the Rugby World Cup, so that's something to look forward to over the next couple of months. Um, so today we'll be talking about football, rugby, UFC, and plenty more. So we might as well jump straight into it and talk about football and the Community Shield that was on last weekend. So 1-0 uh, to Arsenal. So uh, what did you guys think of the game? I, well, it's, it's always one of those things where it's really hard to tell because you know they're not going to give 100%. Like they're not going to give everything away in that opening game. As well as that, uh, traditionally the team who wins the Charity Shield um, tends to struggle when it comes to winning the league. Um, only six have done both in the last 21 attempts. Six in the last 21. And uh, more than I would like to admit, where am I United? <laughs> I think that does happen though when you, when you win the league so often. You're in that match a lot. I thought the funny thing was Mourinho complaining about an opposition side parked in the bus. Oh, yes. It is interesting, though, that for years, and especially against Man United, Wenger w- would always refuse to do that. I wonder, is this kind of a new thing, or is this just a one-off in this game? Yeah, I think he really wanted to beat Mourinho. He wouldn't admit it now, but I'd say it was playing on him and the players' minds. I suppose not even theirs, but the fact that it's brought up in the media so often. in the same way the FA Cup win in 2013 or 2014 was the same and the fact that it's gone over two spells now Mourinho in the league and Wenger unable to beat him and what was it 14 attempts I think it was 14 games yeah Yeah. so it's it's a monkey off his shoulder so to speak the problem is that Mourinho can turn around and go that this isn't an important game true true um, I didn't, personally, I didn't think it was a great game. I know it was not only the Community Shield, but I wasn't overly impressed with other team's performance. But as you said, they won't put everything out there. They won't, they'll won't. they still keep stuff back for the Premiership. Yeah, exactly. I think Arsenal going into it, was it a 6-1 win in the Emirates Cup? I think they were going in with, with some decent form, albeit against weaker opposition. Yeah, and Ch- Chelsea are looking, ha- haven't won a pre-season game in 90 minutes. 
And they don't look like winning one tonight. No. What's the score now, Chris? It's uh, it's 1-0, but it's off Fiorentina. Um, Begovic has probably been Chelsea's man of the match, apart from the goal, maybe. But um, I think he was a little bit unlucky. He was kind of fired at him from close range. That's saying something when the keeper's man of the match. Um, so what did you think of the Arsenal goal, anyway? Very nice, yeah, it's, it's something that I think next season, if they can get Walcott and Oxley chamberlain getting involved on either side of Giroud or possibly Benzema, <laughs> I think, I, well, it, it's, it's definitely possible. I'm not sure if he will move, but they have the money to get him. But if they can get those two either side playing well and fit and healthy, I, I think they have a chance to make a, a real shot at a title. I just wonder if the, the lineup is giving out a clue that maybe Walcott will get his chance centrally this year. Do you think he'll start? Walcott will start up front instead of Giroud this weekend. I'm not sure. Um, I think it might be made slightly easier because uh, Sanchez is injured, so, so they can fit both of them in. Yeah, it'd be interesting if they were at full strength. What way they'd go? Yeah, um, I agree I with that. Think, I do. I still think you prefer walking off the bench, though. I, now well, it might have been because of last season. And the injury problem, but I think he's a very good player to bring on. If you're if, if it's nil all and you're struggling, to bring him on and get that pace for the last half hour. What I think about the whole Giroud Walcott situation is that against the bigger teams, your Chelsea's, your Liverpool's, your United's, your Cities, what you want is I think you need Giroud up front. He can hold the ball better. He can play as the lone striker better. Put Walcott up against like the so-called smaller teams, like your West Broms, your Stokes, that sort of stuff, and he can run at them. He'll, he'll cause them more trouble. The problem I have with that, and it was shown last year against Monaco, is that in big games, your front striker is going to get one, maybe two chances, and Giroud doesn't take them. Will Walcott? I don't think he's a natural finisher, but um, the other way around, there was a couple of games last year where Giroud came off the bench and Arsenal went more direct, and he scored a couple of important headers. Giroud didn't think him on. Yeah, Arsenal, they they were trying to play their normal Arsenal game, and that didn't work. So they brought Giroud on, like the big target man, and they start putting crosses in, and they got some joy out of it. I think he'll always have the option, but I think even talking to Arsenal fans, they're still going to say if they don't bring in one top quality striker, and the same for Manuel probably, without a quality striker up front, I can't see them winning a league. Mm. Uh, going back to the actual goal, did you was it? A good, do you think it was a good finish from the Ox, or could Courtois have done better, or what do you think? I I think it was just a very good goal. He cuts inside. I, I don't think Courtois had the chance, to be honest. I think where it's placed, it, it's just a good goal. Yeah, I thought I thought Courtois could do nothing about it, but I wasn't too impressed with his spill of credit, to be honest, throughout the whole game. No, he's, he's someone... I think even Mourinho, he likes having him, but I think if he can get someone else in instead of him, I think when he tried to bring in Felipe Luis last year, because I didn't, I don't think he trusts him one hundred percent. Well, it's not his natural position. He was a right back, and they they moved him to left back. He's done pretty well as a left back because he's he's obviously not going to replace Ivanovic on the right. No, no. Uh, and now that they let Louis go, they're kind of they're stuck with him unless they play one of the kids there. I, I, I don't think they can do that. I, I don't think if they're going to contend this year, they can risk throwing in someone. I think he, yeah, fair enough. He had a bad game, but if you look, he probably have been the best, the best left back last year in terms of like that unit. They were just, 
Different class. I, I liked Bertrand at left back last year myself. He was good going forward, all right. Uh, I just think that Chelsea balance. Like, fair enough, uh, Aspilicueta may be the weak link of the four, but I just think they work quite well together. And I wouldn't say it wouldn't be getting rid of him on, on the back of a Charlie Shield match. No, no, no. of course. No, no decisions yeah. we made on the back of that match. Um, looking at the Arsenal team now, how big a sign do you think Czech is for Arsenal? Huge. Absolutely huge. I think that the talk of him being worth 10 points this season is probably an understatement. Not only from the saves he makes, but from the leadership he'll give that defence. The confidence he'll give that defence. Yeah, I, I just think it's something they've needed for a long time. Szczesny was never going to be... He might. Uh, I know he's still quite young, but I don't think he'll ever be a world-class goalkeeper. So I'm, the fact that they have one now, albeit only maybe for three or four years before he he will tail off, I think. But they get three or four good years out of him, they can I find him. I've heard, I've heard comparisons with Edin Van der Sar when he joined United from Fulham. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Obviously, similar ages. I think it'll be interesting, though. Obviously, similar to Van der Sar, that Czech is coming from. Well, it's the opposite way around. Czech has gone from a side that had a great defence to Arsenal's, which has been suspect down the years, whereas Van der Sar was improving his defence in front of him. He was. What, what, how, so Czech is, was 33, is he? 32, 33? Yeah. I think Van der Sar was older when he joined United. Like, I, I could see Czech five, six years playing there in, in that Arsenal team. Oh yeah, it's it, it definitely possible. I think if, if, if they get five years out of him, it was a very good purchase. Was it 10 million? 10 million, yeah. I think five years at him playing anywhere near his level and it would be worth the way he can go. Definitely, definitely. Um, one more player uh, was Hazard. He was quite quiet in the game, um, but surely he'll still be there, thereabouts when the Player of the Year awards are announced. Like It's a scary thought about how, how good can he be. I think he's, uh, he's probably the best player in the best team at the moment, so he's got a leg up on most of the other players in the league. Um take penalties as well so that's going to help his goal difference um, he could probably be as good as he wants to be probably fighting for that third place maybe but I think he's behind Suarez at the moment in terms of world and probably Sergio Aguero if he was fit I think Aguero if he can get a full season in is is probably the best player in the Premier League the problem is that he's never fit long enough to prove it he still manages to get over 20 goals a season uh, just oh, to show the quality Exactly. Like he'd walk into Barcelona or Real Madrid over. Oh, I think over Suarez definitely. He'd get into Real Madrid ahead of Benzema. Sorry, say again. Yeah, Barcelona last year. Those front three. I don't think they'd be replaced by anyone in the world. Yeah, I think he'd get. I think he'd get into Real Madrid ahead of Benzema, but I don't know about Barcelona. I'm sure they'd find a way to fit the four of them in. <laughs> exactly. Um, and what do you make of Mourinho saying that Hazard is better than Ronaldo now? A bit, a bit premature? I think it's just typical Mourinho trying to uh, create a story. I, I don't think he believes in himself. I mean, if you look exactly. at the stats, they're, uh, they're a pretty big gap between the two at the moment. Although, I would say Hazard's playing a much uh, more difficult league. It's the same thing as, as what Chelsea, Mourinho and by extension Don Terry are doing with Falcao. You build them up as much as they can, give them confidence at the, at the start of the season and hope that it leads to goals. I heard the interview with uh, Terry today and he was saying how the first two minutes in the United-Chelsea game last season where Falcao, he said, just played amazing. Now he's seen him in training 
and he sees like firsthand how much of a good finisher he is and stuff. It, it is trying to boost his confidence. Yeah, I think Fakir was very good in that game. Like my dad, I was watching him especially, and the amount of runs he made off the ball where the players just didn't see him. I think I know he only scored with the four goals all season, but I think a lot of that was down to the fact that there weren't players to give him the ball. Because Mata, as good as he is, slows the, slows the game down. And the one thing you want Falcao to do is to make runs behind defences. I did see a couple of links uh, between Falcao and Costa when they were both at Atletico. Looked uh, pretty impressive, but I just I can't see Chelsea starting with two up top. They usually like the one with the two wide men, so Falcao will probably be playing off the bench more often than not. I think the problem Costa's, with that is even, that. Costa's even injured for the start of the season, and it looks like Remy's going to start ahead of him. Ahead of Falcao. Just that extra bit of pace. I think that's one thing Falcao's missing for the Premiership. He's lost it since the operation. Yeah, it was a pretty serious knee injury. Like yeah. Lots of players have struggled to come back from that kind of thing. And then to compound that, the fact that he tried to go back to the World Cup and then kind of the knee gave way again. I, I think the problem with Falcao, though, is that he's not going to play up front on his own. I think we saw that last season with United. Every time he was up front on his own, he did struggle because... He's no one to play off. I think if he's playing with Remy or if he's playing with um, Costa, I think that's the only way you'll get the best out of him. I think even if he plays with like someone who's not that good, it just gives the defender something else to worry about and he gives him that extra half yard of space. But I, I just can't see Chelsea playing with two up top. I mean, Mourinho is pretty rigid with the way he likes to play. He likes his defenders to defend. He likes his whole team to defend. <laughs> exactly. He likes his striker to kick lumps out of uh, the defenders. <laughs> um, one last point on the charity shield, then, or the community shield. Uh, what about the handshake that never happened? What do you think? Do we have to? <laughs> so I was just briefly mentioning it. It's 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 something Mourinho does. I think better or worse than anyone else is he makes stories out of matches. If Chelsea don't win or if Chelsea underperform you'll guarantee there'll be a story not related to the result of the match directly after the game. So he can deflect attention away from his misgivings. It's something which he's, he is world-class at, as well as being a world-class manager. I think I, deflect is the right word to use there. I think that's spot on. I didn't have any problem with it. I just The two managers clearly don't like each other. I don't think they should need to shake hands. I, I, I totally agree. If they don't like each other, don't shake I think hands. It, should, it should be the same with the players. I don't agree with the like the shaking hands before the game. Like, fair enough if they want to shake hands after the game, but I don't think there's a need to line up and everyone shake everyone's hand. Yeah. I do think that, though, in fairness, maybe not after, because tempers, tempers can be high, but before a game, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. I, just to get into the players. To, like I know back when I played years ago that even just to kind of to walk up and down the line with the handshakes, it did at least kind of didn't make the game friendly just before the game started. And obviously, once the game starts, then you try and kick lumps, lumps out of each other. But I do think the whole respect campaign, even though it is maligned a lot, is a good idea. I generally don't remember that when I played. I mean, we kind of we lined up opposite each other. I don't remember any kind of handshakes until the final whistle. It was the final like, whistle for me as well. Yeah. I remember at the end where the co- your coach or manager would say, "Now go on over and." And shake hands on that. With rugby, it was the tunnel. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd never remember handshakes before the game. And that's why I don't think they're needed in professional football either. On a side note, Fair do you think Mourinho should have be- worn a suit at Wembley? It looked a bit ridiculous in his tracksuit. 
I, I, I don't have a problem with that either. <laughs> Lots of managers go around the tracksuits. Um, again, I think that's the whole downplay in the charity shield where he can turn around and go, look, I was obviously in a tracksuit, so this game isn't an important game. I think it's all part of a... I think everything he does from clothes to non-handshakes, everything is designed for a reason. It's all methodically thought out. Yeah, I really do. Right, that's enough Community Shield talk. Uh, a little transfer roundup now. So uh, what do you two think the best transfer of the summer so far is in the Premiership? I think the best we've already touched on. I, I think Belichick is will have the most influence, apart from maybe Sterling, he'll have the biggest influence on the team he's going to. My uh, my best is also my potential worst, and you've already named him there at Sterling. I think if he can link up with Aguero the way he did with Suarez, uh, I think that's the best signing right there. However, now that he's got his big money move, if he's going to play for Man City the way he did for us at the end of the year, I think he could be the worst at forty nine million. I think that's point. the thing. If it was twenty five million, I think you'd think it was very good business for a young player. But fifty million pounds for a player who's I know granted very young, but he only has two years experience. You're you're paying for potential. Very much so. And he definitely has it, but um there's a big question over attitude. Uh obviously I've followed it quite closely as a Liverpool fan and there's a few things that don't seem the best with his personality, but uh, again, top top potential there. I'd have to agree with Stephen there. I'd say Peter Cech as well, like he could be like Arsenal in the last couple of summers, they went out and got Ozil, went out and got Sanchez, and now they're showing up the defence as well. They've already worked on the attack. They've got great attack, great going forward. Check could be the difference. They could they could push this year for the title, I think. Yeah, I think this year could be. I think all top four, there's not going to be too much between them. And uh, moving on from best transfer, what about the worst transfer of the summer so far in the Premiership? I have three down for that. Yeah. Sterling. Chris, I think, has the potential to be, although it could also be a great transfer. I think Wickham, for £7 million. £9 million, apparently. Is it up to nine? Apparently. I know there's a premium on paying for English players, but that's ridiculous. For someone who had a good four-game spell at the end of 2014, I just don't see it. He's definitely one that hasn't lived up to the potential when, when he was a 17-year-old and all the big clubs wanted him. That's the thing again. That's the problem with paying for, for potential. Now, although Sterling has a lot more games under his belt, it's still a big risk. Yeah, and Chris. Um. Yeah, I just pretty much I had Sterling down as the boat. Um, yeah. The other, well, this is kind of a, a bad move personally. I, I think I just think Begovic. I rate him as the like one of the best keepers in the Premiership and. He's decided to go and be a number two. I just, uh, I think it's a bad move for him, but it's a great move for Chelsea because they've got a fantastic backup now to Kurt Paul. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, he he could be wasted on the bench because he 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 is good enough to be a number one. I think so. I just think if if he had awaited his time, like maybe depending on what happens with De Gea or Larice, like there's definitely a bigger club there that he would be a number one at. Yeah, I think. Mean- that's a good point that if De Gea moves and if Lloris goes from Spurs, there's a number one spot at Spurs to open the bag, which could be easily filled. Yeah. Uh, I think the same thing with, with Delft. Delft going to Man City where he's going to play at most 
10 starts in the Premier League. It, it, it's good business for Man City because he's an English international and it's only £8 million. Pounds, but for yeah. his career... It's just surprised at how cheap he was. That Delph was my worst transfer of the summer so far. Gone from being Villa captain, like he could have been loved there, to sitting on the bench, like he's a, he'll be a more than likely be another Scott Sinclair. Oh yeah, with a shadow of a doubt. The only thing is, like with anyone, if if someone came along to you in your day job and said, "Here's twice the money for less work," it's a very difficult thing to turn down. Bear in mind, you could also be getting medals on top of that. Yeah. True. Um, I suppose that comes down to the type of person he is as a player. Exactly. And the, and the thing is, if you look at that midfield, with Torre getting old and getting a bit injured, you've got Fernando, Fernandinho, there is a, a Miller gone. There is potential for game time with injuries, but I do think it's... it's I think it'll, he'll in two years' time it'll end up being him moving to a Stoke or a Palace or someone else mid-table again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, which team do you think has done the best business so far this summer? There's actually a few. I think if you look at Liverpool, and I suppose Chris can elaborate more, the selling of Sterling for 50 million and bringing in Firmino and Benteke for around the same figure is a very good bit of business. Yeah, I was. I, I don't know a lot about Firmino. To be fair, I've I've been watching up on him at the Cup of America since I heard about the deal. Um, another one I was really pleased with was getting in uh, Klein as a replacement for Johnson. I think that's a, a massive improvement. Um, yeah. The one issue I have, with, which seems to be that Brendan doesn't know about this position, is the DM. Um, <laughs> we have never attempted to buy a DM, as far as I know, since Brendan's been in charge. And like I was looking today, I think it's Sunderland are in talk with Jan and Bia. Like a loan deal for him, I think, why not? He, he has the potential to be, like he's a French international, I think, something like that, taking for 12 months, and if it works out, keep him. Um, Lucas is obviously injury prone, and with Gerard going, um, I think we could just do with someone else as a central midfielder. Um, Milner is a more attacking, and even so, a wider player. I think we could do with someone in the middle. Yeah, but again, just just a mention of Milner there, like, and Ings, they've brought in some very good players for very good or no money in, in those in those cases. I think the business they've done for I don't know next spend is is a favorite of a, a lot of fans, but they've they've not spent a lot of money and they've brought in quality almost everywhere on the pitch. I think the the only issue I have with Milner is. Um... He's 29, and the rumours that he's getting 165 grand a week and a five-year deal. It's a, it's a lot of money to be put into someone who's probably got maybe two years at most at his best, and then you're going to see a decline. I don't think so, James Miller. I think what he gives you is hard work. He doesn't give you speed. He does give you a lot of hard work, but he's been working since he was, what, 17 and in the Leeds team. It's a lot of games. It is, but if you look at... A similar player in a near similar position. The Man United played 20 million for Schweinsteiger for a player who's 31, who again has been playing since he was 17, 18. I think if you get, well, from from a Man United point of view, if you get three years, four years out of him, it's a good deal. I think if you guys get four years out of Milner, and I think, he, like Carrick, he can go on until he's 35, 36. Maybe not starting every game, but he'll be involved. 
Fair point. Fair point. Um, when I was looking at which team I thought had done the best business, um, I liked what Palace did with getting Kabai in. I thought that was... Yeah, it's a great sign. That, that's what, a 10 million, point. was it? Uh, yeah, around that. Uh, yeah. I think it's a stroke of genius by parts there. That's a bit of a steal. Um, also, Stoke are slowly and quietly building up a mini Barcelona over there. Yeah. I think from, of the players from Bojan last year and Afrizai this year, I think they could actually be fun to watch for the first time in a long time. <laughs> and uh, finally, I do like, at the start of the, like a few weeks ago, now, I thought United were having a fantastic summer. I thought the centre mid was kind of finally getting sorted. I think Schneiderlin, fantastic sign, definitely was needed there. Um, but don't know what's going on now with the whole De Gea, Di Maria is going, De Gea might go, Willy Willy won't. Who knows? So, United, I thought they were doing well. Not so much at the moment. Kind of depends how the rest of the month plays out. I think they're probably the one team who are, it's still too early to go. I feel there's there's still maybe three transfers, be it in or out. I think, because if you do lose the hay, it's who they bring in and go. If they don't get Ramos, which I don't think they will right now, it's will they get Nicholas Odomendi or will they uh, bring in someone else? Ramos will sign a new deal, so it'll probably be Odomendi. Yeah, but see, if you bring in Odomendi into that defence, I think they suddenly look a lot more solid. I think right now, with the defenders from last year and Darmian instead of Raphael, it's an improvement, but I don't think it's enough of an improvement from last year to, to fully contend. It's not a title-winning improvement. No, it's not. And the other problem is, having lost Di Maria, having lost Van Persie, Hernandez is out for a couple of months, there's only Wayne Rooney up front. I don't think Hernandez uh, uh, has a future there. Van Hal doesn't seem to like him. So it's, it's what, it's Rooney and Wilson at the moment for you? That looks like it is, yeah. But the thing uh, is... That definitely need one, if not two. Well, because Hernandez is injured, I think he'll, he'll definitely be around for this season, whether or not Van Hal likes him or not. And then the thing is, we've lots of players who can potentially play up front, but none of them are actually strikers. I'd say Depay would be an interesting one. Um, he scored a lot of goals last season in the Dutch League. And he could probably play behind the striker, if not up there with him. But the thing is, I can't see Rooney playing every game. So you're going to have to have somebody else. I wouldn't and mind. Wilson. Who's the Lacazette? Is that him? <laughs> I mean, yes. There's a few clubs wouldn't mind Lacazette. And yeah. <laughs> we're one of them, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, it was in the, in the news today that apparently he's told Leon he wants to go, but you wouldn't know how much that is true or how much his agents or what, but yeah. he's definitely a, a player that would have his fair share of offers if he was to be available. Oh, definitely, definitely. And uh, finally for the transfers, uh, what player do you see making the move this month before the transfer window shuts? Uh, well, well Di Maria down, but I think uh, that's almost done. Yeah. I think the, the snowball effect of that would be that Pedro will probably go to United. Yeah. Uh, the big the big question mark is Benzema. Is he going to go? And if so, where? I think if he does go, which I don't think he will this season, to be honest. Because I don't think Real Madrid have someone to play up front to replace him so unless they go and buy someone quickly again I can't see it I think he'll probably stay but it would be Arsenal it's the one team calling out for a striker I mean, a bit of mention moving Bale or Ronaldo central to try and fit in all those midfielders they have so if that was the case then maybe they'd be willing to let him go for a big fee I 
I suppose if Arsenal came in like they did with Ozil or Sanchez, if they come in with enough money, they might be tempted. But I think it, it would be the worst thing they, they could do because they don't have, and it showed last year when Benzema wasn't fit, they don't have somebody else to fill that role. And Bale and Ronaldo, as good as they are, playing up top in their own, I don't see it winning Champions League, which is, for them, all that matters. Mm. Right. We're going to stick our necks on the line now and do some Premier League predictions. So uh, we'll uh, come back to this at the end of the season and see how right or wrong we were. So uh, who do you guys think will win the league? Chris, you go first. All right, putting me on the line. Um, I'm going for the same as last year, unfortunately. I think Chelsea haven't really strengthened too much, but I don't think they needed to. They've got the best manager in the league, and unfortunately I think there's only one winner. Yeah, to be honest, I, I have Chelsea down. Unless Manchester United can get a defender and a striker. I think Man City will be there, thereabouts, but I just, there's something about them that they just, they can just turn off for games where they're just not interested. And against Chelsea, especially last season, you, you, you can't afford to do that. I think Arsenal will be a lot closer to Chelsea. I think... With the Czech signing and Walcott coming back, if they and if they brought in Benzer, I think they could really challenge. But for me, it's Chelsea. Yeah, full house. I got Chelsea down as well, uh, and then top four. So who's your top four in order as well, please? In order, I have them in order. It's obviously Chelsea at one. Yep. City at two. It's Arsenal third, and um, I've gone with my heart and my head, and I've got Liverpool in at fourth. Oh, controversial! Wow. That's <laughs> all I can say about that. Um, I have Chelsea first. I, this is a tough one. Second, I think it'll be Arsenal. Although I personally like it to be United, I just think Arsenal are probably one more season along along the way. I think next season United really could be contenders, but I think Arsenal, United, and then City. Yeah, I've got Chelsea, then Arsenal, then United, then City myself as well. Yeah. Now. I could see Liverpool creeping into fourth if City fall apart. If Aguero gets injured, I think, and, and Torre goes missing the way he can do, I think there is scope for Liverpool to get in there, but I don't see them as, as good as I think assigning Benteke is as well. I just think they lack quality all around the pitch. I'm just hoping uh, Rodgers uses the Europa League and plays the second string and just goes all out for the league like we did a couple of years ago. I think if we play our best 11 every game we can in the league, we've got a shot at getting into the top four. And I don't, I personally don't care about any of the other competitions we're in. I just think when, when you had Suarez, who was that good working with Sterling, or sorry, working with Sturridge, I think you have a strike force that, that could terrify every team in the league. Benteke, Firmino and Sturridge, as good as they all are, you're not going to be afraid of them. I, I think uh, it sounds I, like it sounds like a good strike force to me. To be honest, I just think without without Suarez, it's fair. It's not as terrifying. It's got it's got to be more of a group effort. Whereas he was just one man magician, I suppose at times carrying the team forward. Yeah, fair point. Um, looking at the other end of the table now, we've got who's going to get relegated. 
Am I up first again, Stephen? <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind. Whichever you prefer. <laughs> Go on, I'll stick with it then. I've got a, a couple of the new boys going straight back down. I've got a Bournemouth and Norwich. And I think this is the year we will finally get rid of Sunderland as well. <laughs> so Bournemouth, but, Norwich and Sunderland. That's it. Yeah. Stephen? I actually think Sunderland under Advocate will do well. There's, Like you said earlier, there's talks of signing him via... And regardless of whether or not he's a wasted talent, I think he'd be definitely an upgrade on Sunderland. There's talks they're going to bring in a couple of, of young signings. Um, Adnan, Yanazai from Man United, if that goes through, it could be brilliant for both them and his career. Um, I have Watford to go back down. I think bringing in 10, 11 players this season, it's too many. I think, if, it, like what Bernie did last year and what Leicester did, if you stick with a core and then bring in three or four high-quality players, you'll stay up. But I think Watford will go down. It didn't, but I think they just didn't have enough quality all around. But if you look at, at the way they played, the spirit they had for the players they had, they definitely overperformed. Um, I'd go with Villa this season. I think oh. the only thing kept them up last year was Benteke. And with him going to Liverpool, and with no real replacement coming in, I think, I think they're gone. And Delft too, obviously, with their captain. I think, I think West Brom, with signing Lambert and signing McLean, they're signing players who I don't think are Premiership quality. I, I, I think they'll be the third. Oh, I can't. Tony Pulis side come down. I disagree. Tony Pulis will not, will not get relegated. Also, I must say, as as much as he, he gets criticism, I think Tim Sherwood is not the worst manager in the world. He's very good at motivating his side and... I think if he could get Adebayor to Villa and get him playing the way he had he did at Spurs, I think they'll be okay as well. I think Villa will stay up just about as well. I've gone for Leicester under Ranieri. I don't think he, I don't think that's a good fit for them at all. Um, and then I've got for two of the new boys, Watford and Norwich will go down as well. I think someone like Redmond, if he gets game time, could just about keep them up. He could, but I, he could have a great start to the season and he could be gone in January. Yeah, very true, very true. Um, so looking at the top goal scorer then this season? Uh has to be Sergio Aguero. Um, he played, what was it, 24 games last year? And he was top goal scorer, so I think if he if he can get the same again or if he has slightly better fitness, I don't think anyone's going to catch him. Yeah, it's very good, show. I think if he stays fit and healthy, it'll probably be Aguero, but... I don't think he stays fit and healthy because he hasn't done for almost any season since he's been at City. I think Wayne Rooney being the only striker and and pretty much building the team around him up front. When it works for the last two seasons, he's got 30 goals. And I think he'll do it again. Uh, as much as I'd love to agree with you, Stephen, I've gone with uh, what Chris is going on Aguero. I, th- I think he, he, he just, he'll, he'll pull it out and whenever he's fit, he just bangs the goals in. Oh, look, uh, he's, for me, he's the best player in the league. He just I don't think he plays more than twenty five games. And if he if he does then yeah, sure. But I just I think Rooney is rarely injured. He's the only striker my I'd have. He'll take all the penalties. I think he's he's a safe bet. I think if, if Sterling and, and Aguero do link up, that could be devastating. That was, that was also my thinking. I think if if Sterling can link up the way Aguero did or if Sterling can link up with Aguero the way he did with Suarez then Man City are going to run Chelsea very close. Yeah. It, 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 it's all about if Sterling can settle and 
preseason looks like he has. He scored a few goals, and if Aguero can stay fit, um, yeah. With those two and Silva, if if like you said, if if they click, it's probably the best front three in the league. But I just there's still too many doubts around for me Aguero and Sterling. But we'll see. There is the doubt about City's mentality as well. If they if they get Yaya firing behind them, then that's a hell of a front four. True. But even defensively last season, company didn't look as good. Mangala didn't settle. If you look at that 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 central spine, you got Joe Hart who as good as he is, I don't think it's world class. That centre back pairing you know, it, it might just been a bad season for them, but if you look at at the end of last season I think they both weren't as good as City fans would like. You've got Torre who can be awesome on his day, but they're but when he when he doesn't care he's just a passenger and you've got Aguero who, up front who if he gets injured they've sold Dzeko they've sold Jovetic they, they, they let go right up I, 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 there's potential for them to win the league by 10 points but there's also potential for them to be fifth and I think it's again more than any other team it comes down to can they keep their players fit and healthy interesting so what about first manager to be sacked this year I've gone for Claudio Ranieri <laughs> the Tinker Man. Um, from what from what I've I've read, he just hasn't uh, had a good run of clubs since he left Chelsea. Where, in fairness, he did a good job before he got the chop. But um, yeah, I think he's gonna he's gonna he could struggle. And I think if uh, after a few games there in poor form, he could be gone. But I think they've got a decent squad there. So if he does go, they they'll be okay. And especially with last year, what, what happened to Pearson? I think with the with the owners, the Malaysian owners kind of being very quick to pull the trigger and then rehiring him and then saying he wasn't fired. I think that's a good job. But I think Everton, if Martinez doesn't have a good start, I think he's had he's had enough time now where if they start slowly, he can't use an excuse of injuries or he can't use new players settling. Like even the players he brought in, Delefeu has been there before. So I think if they if they have a tough start and they and their bottom half like they were at the start of last season, I can see Everton trying to find someone new. I think that uh, the Europa League had a big a big effect on them last year. I think they'll be fine this year. They're not playing in that. They just focus on the league. I think they should be all right with that. Um, I've gone for, for Ranieri as well at Leicester. I just don't think they're suited together. And I think he could, uh, he, he, he could be gone pretty soon. Um... Then looking at uh, the surprise star for the year, who do you think it will be? I've gone for uh, one of Liverpool's new signings, uh, Joe Gomez. Uh, didn't know much about him until he signed, but he's looked quite decent in pre-season. And a lot of the rumours coming out are that he's actually going to start ahead of um, our, our current left-back Moreno. So... If uh, if he does get the, the nod and we're going well, then he could be one to watch. So Joe Gomez, one to watch. Yeah, maybe, hopefully. Yeah. And Stephen? Mine's actually another brand new wing back. It's Darmian from Manchester United. I think getting him from Torino from for twelve million, he was starting international for Italy. By all accounts, he's just one of those players like a Paul Parker or Dennis Irwin. He'll give you seven eight out of ten every single game. And he gives you the added, like all Man United 
wing back should do should do. He's very good at going forward and crossing the ball. I think he's the right age. I just think even though we've brought in a lot of bigger names like um Depay and Schneiderlin who could take time to settle, I think Darmian could could hit the ground running. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him up there with James Coleman the highest scoring defenders. Very good. Um I've gone for one of the new boys, uh, Matt Ritchie at Bournemouth. Uh, he's a winger there and just set set the championship alight last season. Now I know there's a big step up between the championship and the premiership, but um, what I saw of him last year, he looked impressive, and I do think he he could be the difference. He could him and Callum Wilson could help Bournemouth stay up and just about avoid the drop. They, they, they'll sneak. They could sneak into seventeenth, and they'd be delighted with that. And I think, yeah, I think he could be one to watch. And I think if the fact they start off with Aston Villa at home it gives them a really good chance to hit the ground running. I think if they can, if they get confidence, I think they're a reasonably easy first six or seven games. If they can get into double figures after six or seven games, then I think the, the player will buy into the fact that they're good enough for the level. And I don't see them going down. Yeah. Who do we think the biggest disappointment this year will be? Um, I, go ahead. I sorry, I'll, I'll go first because I mentioned it earlier. I think Man City. I there's something in me that says they're they haven't replaced. I know they brought in Sterling, but they were the oldest squad last year. I think Torre. I think Aguero. I, I think Company. I just have a feeling that they're going to they're going to struggle to possibly even make Champions League. Yeah, for me, it was one I mentioned earlier. Biggest disappointment, I think, will be Begovic uh, because, like I said, he's one of the best keepers in the league, and I don't think we're going to get to see him because he's going to be sitting on Chelsea's bench, playing in the Carling Cup. That's it. Yeah, uh, uh, he's too good for that. I've gone for someone I mentioned earlier as well as Fabian Delph. I think. He'll just be wasted at City. He could have done so much more at Villa. Um, I think he'll just be wasted sitting there on the bench. Um, we'll look at then, who do you think will be player of the year? Uh, Eden Hazard. Uh, Chelsea's best player. And I think if they win the league, uh, the likelihood is that he'll win the title again. Yeah, you basically just... I had the exact same thing prepared. It's going to be... If Chelsea win the league, and I think we all agree they will... He's their best player. And unless Falcao or Costa get into 25, 30 goals, I think it'll be a, a dirty game. Interesting. I've gone actually for Alexis Sanchez at Arsenal. Um, I do think they'll have a great season this year. And I think just he, I think he's a superstar. And I think he could do wonders this year. He, he will challenge Hazard for that title. And I've gone for Sanchez. Um, and then what do you think for young player of the year? Young player, I've gone for Sterling uh, for the reasons we discussed and the potential to link up with Aguero. But if if that doesn't work out, then I think uh, Depay is probably a great show. Yeah, Depay is who I have down. I think it might take him a month or two to get used to playing in this team. I think he was a big name in PSV last year. I think he won't be necessarily this year with Rooney, with Mata. But I think once he figures out his place in, in that front three or or just behind Rooney, possibly, I think he could be a star. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I've got the pie as well. I think he could be excellent for us. 
I'm very excited to see what he can do. Uh, our final prediction then is manager of the year. I assume, have we got Mourinho shouts here, do we? Uh, not for me. Uh, nope, not no, me okay. either. I just think that um, in recent years it tends to be not the, the manager of the best team that wins it, it's someone that comes from a little bit further down the league and I just think if uh, if Palace can kick on with uh, with the players they brought in the way they did, they finished last season and I think Alan Pardew's got a great show. I think the problem with Pardew is that he's not very well liked. I think when it comes down to this thing, as much as when Hodgson won it with Fulham, I think a lot of it comes down to if the manager is liked or not. I have Steve McLaren as an outside bet. Oh. It's been I, I, a while since a Dutch manager won the award. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's not McLaren, it'll be Van Hal, hopefully. But um, <laughs> no, I just have a feeling there's nowhere else for them to go. Well, there is obviously relegation, but provided Newcastle, provided Newcastle have a good season, I think they brought in some. I think Mitrovic, although crazy as he is, I think they haven't needed a kind of a talisman, a goal scorer. I think if they could maybe bring in one or two more, and if Ashley is serious about putting some money in for once, I think they could easily be seventh or eighth. Challenge for the Europa League. Could just not qualify. Just not qualify. Could they win a cup <laughs> this year, could they? It's possible, because McLaren has pedigree with cups, with, with Middlesbrough, when he, when he got them to the UEFA Cup final. I think... He's very under. I know he's, he's. It's very easy to laugh at him, and we we do from time to time. But he is a good manager beneath all that. I think if you can get the players to believe in him, I think there's potential for Newcastle to go to jump back up. I think it, the big thing thing for him uh, for next year is has he recovered after what happened with Derby last year? I mean, they they looked like they were going to run away with the league at one point, and it just all fell apart from. Um, I think the whole squad, including him, they just look deflated come the end of the season. Yep, that, that's, that's, that's a fair shout, all right. Um, for my manager of the year, it was a toss-up between two different people. Now, I went with Eddie Howe at Bournemouth, because I do think he'll just keep them up. And I think if he keeps Bournemouth up, he deserves it, hands down. Um, I, I, I really like the way they play. I saw them, like I said, I saw them a bit in the Championship, and I'd love to see him keep them up. Um, the other one who I felt deserved to mention was Gary Monk at Swansea. Uh, I thought he's done fantastic with them. And I think they could have a good season. I, th- I think they could possibly challenge for like a, a top six spot. I think the problem with Swansea is that A, they're very unfashionable and two, they've already made that jump. Like They're an established Premier League team. I think were they eighth last year? I don't think there's much scope for them to grow. As in, I like some of their signing, like this, your man IU and stuff like that. I think they they bought well this summer as well. They have. I was one of the players who I had as my surprise star earlier. I think if he if he if he plays well from the start, but even so, I think breaking through the top four is just not feasible. Getting no, no, past, no, I don't think they get top four. But then you talk about Liverpool, you talk about Spurs, you talk about Everton. If if Stoke and the looks are going to have a good season, if Southampton have kick on again, I think the best they can hope for is seventh, eighth, ninth again, and I don't think that'll be enough for him to to get manager of the year awards. Fair point. Fair point. Um, finally, with football, we'll have a look at the Premier League Week One preview. So to have a quick review of the ten fixtures and discuss predictions for the games. So um, we'll start off with the United Spurs game. What do you think? Are we going result or scores? Whichever you want. 
I, I'll go first again, I suppose. I've gone with a, a home win, unfortunately. I think uh, United will win a 3-1. I, the one thing I, I can almost guarantee is that it will be a very good game. For some reason, every time United play Spurs at home, it's probably the best in the history of the Premier League. It's one of those fixtures you look forward to, even if both teams aren't playing well. Like back when Newcastle played Liverpool in the 90s, you were just guaranteed good game I think there'll definitely be goals because I don't think my United defence is there I think Loris is missing for Spurs if I remember rightly he came so, on today did he come off even if he's back I don't think Spurs are any great jakes at the back I'd say 2-1 United I've actually gone 3-1 United as well and part of that reason is because Spurs had, had a pre-season game this evening and they're only back tomorrow morning like that's Thursday morning they're back and then they have to go play on Saturday morning that was a very, although in fairness, beating AC Milan today, it's a very good result. But having a fixture two and a half days before your opening one is is just nonsensical. Yeah, it's unusual, but uh, you wouldn't <laughs> imagine fatigue would play a part this early in the season. It's not even fatigue; it's the fact that if you get you get home on say they're playing tonight, they get home tomorrow morning. They can't train tomorrow realistically. They're not going to train Friday morning. It, it's just it's very <laughs> disruptive. I think what you want for that last for that first week before the first game is to be settled, is to get everyone used to the system again. I just I just think it's a bad idea. Looking at the next game, then one of the new boys, Bournemouth, at home to Aston Villa. I've gone for one all in this one. Uh, I think Bournemouth are going to be up for it. Obviously, first game in the Premiership, but um, I think. Tim will get something out of the game, so one off for me. I I think it's a home win. I think Bournemouth coming up champions of the championship last season. I think they'll be riding high. It's I think it's the first time in their history they've been in top flight. So I think that from the fans' point of view, it's going to be a huge occasion. And I just don't see who's going to score goals for Aston Villa. They haven't brought in. There's talks of bringing in Berbatov or someone similar. They don't have that striker. Bonhoeffer can grab a goal, but I can't see them scoring more than one. And I can see Bournemouth winning maybe 2-0. Two 2-0. Nil. Two nil. I've got Bournemouth to make it a 2-1. So I, I do agree that I think Bournemouth will be pumped for this game, and I, th- I just think they'll make it. Um, the third game then is Everton against Watford. Uh, home win in this one. Um, I think there are probably a few goals. Everton usually quite open, especially at home. But I've got them just to nick this one 3 2. 3 2, interesting. Yeah, and um, having tipped Martinez as the first manager to get the sack, I've also gone for Everton. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just think for every three teams that come up, one of them tends to win, one of them tends to lose, and one of them tends to draw. I just think Watford, away from home against Everton, I just don't see it. I'd say Everton. 1-0. One 1-0. One nil. I've gone for a comfort, comfortable Everton win here at 3-0. I, I just think Watford won't put it. Watford know there'll be other games. and I know they'll be pumped back in the Premiership, but I think Everton know they have to start the season well. So a 3-0 home win. Um, the next game is Leicester v Sunderland. Yeah, I've done a Stephen here and uh, tipped uh, Claudio Ranieri to get a win on the opening day. <laughs> <laughs> I've got them winning this one 2-1. 2-1. I don't want to score for this. I think it'll be a draw. I think Leicester 
finished the season very, very well last year. I think if this had been the 39th fixture of last season, I'd have gone for Leicester all day long. But like you said, with Ranieri, with a new manager, and with Sunderland having kept Avocat and brought in one or two good signings, I'm going for a draw here. Draw? Yeah, I'd gone for a score draw, one all, a tight game. Just don't, I just couldn't call it. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, we've got uh, Norwich at home to Crystal Palace then. Uh, I've gone for an away win here. Um, Crystal Palace 2-0 for me. Yeah, I, I think similar. I'd say Norwich might get a goal. I'd say Palace 2-1. Uh, I agree with Chris totally on a 2-0 away win. Part starts well. Um, the next game, Chelsea v Swansea. The evening kickoff on Saturday. Yeah, I think this is going to be a, a boring win for the champions. Um, 2-0, I'd imagine. Probably scoring one of their goals late on with Swansea pushing forward. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure. I had Chelsea down for a win, but I, I don't think it's going to be as easy. I think Monk, like, said, like you said, did a good job last season, will do a good job again this season. They brought in someone like Ayu, Chelsea haven't seen before. I can see Swansea pushing them very, very close. I'm going to say 2-1 Chelsea, again, with a Chelsea late goal. Yeah, I agree with Stephen this time. I've got a Chelsea to win, but just not as easy as people may think, and I've got a 2-1 victory for Chelsea. Um, looking at Arsenal against West Ham then? I think this is probably going to be fairly comfortable for Arsenal, unlike previous games against West Ham. Uh, I think they'll be happy to see the back of Big Sam, and I've got them to win this one 3-1. Yeah, I think not having Sanchez will affect them a little bit, but I can see them, and with Czech there, I can see them keeping a clean sheet. I've got Arsenal 3-0. Yeah, I've got that West Ham, because West Ham are still trying to qualify for the Europa League, or is that tonight, or is that tomorrow? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I've got them focusing on that, and I've got an Arsenal comfortable 3-0 win at home. Um, Next up then is Newcastle at home to Southampton. Yeah, it's an away win for me. I think Southampton will probably start well like they did last year. And I've got them 2-0 to win this one. Yeah, I think Southampton are going to be very tough to beat this season. I think McLaren, 50,000 fans is opening game. I can't see him being beaten either. I can see this being a no-score draw. No-score draw. Uh, I've got Southampton to start the season as they did last year. Uh, 2-1 win. I know they're doing the Europa League as well. But they had a comfortable 3-0 victory there in it and Pele looked good, Long looked good. I think 2-1 win Southampton. Uh, the penultimate game then is Stoke versus Liverpool. So, uh, Chris, we'll let you start with this one, definitely. The Super Sunday. Um, I've got this one to be a lot closer than it was last year. Um, <laughs> I'd hope so. I'm going for Liverpool to nick a 2-1, but I can see that being a very tight game. Yeah, this is one. What I've written down is three question marks. I just, <laughs> I, I really don't know. Stoke have, have bought very well. I think they have Bojan back for this game. Like I mentioned earlier, I think Affle, if he if he plays well early on, could be a great signing. Liverpool want revenge. They have a lot of signings to to get back in the team. I think uh, Stoke selling and Zonzi could be a big one. He he was very good for them, but I think the way he was playing, I think. He's he's not a Mark Hughes. He's definitely more kind of an, an old fashioned Stoke player. I think the way he's going to play, he's he was willing to let him go, and they got decent money for him. I'm going to up, but it's it could also be it could three one like last year. 
Yeah, I, I think last year is not going to happen again. I think, <laughs> I think Liverpool gave Steven Gerrard a poor send-off. I think, I, I, I just, I, I can't see it happening again. Who else? I've got Liverpool, that, that Liverpool will want revenge from last season, but Stoke is always a tough place to go to, so I've gone one all so a score draw. And uh, finally, Monday Night Football, football back, Carragher and Neville. Get to see them again. We've got West Brom versus Man City. I've gone for City to go and get an away win against um, one of the tougher managers, Pulis, in the league, especially at home. I just think City will start strong. They know they have to, and I, th- I think they'll have too much for West Brom tonight or on Monday night. Yeah, I've got Man City as well. I'll go. I'd say it'll be tough. I'd say West Brom could be in it till 60, 70th minute, but I've got City grabbing two late goals, three-one Man City. Really? I, I've just that Pulis side is always a tough side to score against but I think City will do enough and get the win at 2-1 so uh, that wraps up our football talk anyway um, <laughs> so I think that went on a bit longer than we had planned it did but um, I'm, in fairness it is it's, it's the big thing this week it's the opening week we're not going to have transfers to talk about in the future yeah, so, so we now have a quick chat about rugby so um have a little rugby championship preview. So Australia versus New Zealand, the championship decider. What do you guys think of that? I think when it comes down to it, as much as, as I think for for World Rugby and for the World Cup, it would be great for Australia to beat them. I just can't see past the All Blacks again. It's it's predictable, but they're just that good. Yeah, I have to agree. Um I think Australia looked decent, don't get me wrong, but I think it kind of papered over the cracks a little bit that South Africa took their foot off the gas. I think Australia are still the, the number three side from the Southern Hemisphere, and I think New Zealand will probably make them look like it at the weekend. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think like Cheka has done a good job there with Australia, but I do think like uh, New Zealand named their team today, I think it was, and... Like still new names, but it's still it's still the All Blacks. It's just the same quality always coming through. And I think they'll have too much for Australia. Yeah, I, th- I think New Zealand can afford to be at maybe seventy percent, and they probably still have too much for Australia. I just think they're just so good. Yeah, I would yeah. say the one thing is, is that for their World Cup chances, the best thing for New Zealand could actually be a loss here. I think if they go in and they keep winning and they keep winning. Like what's happened in previous years, there could be complacency. I think a loss somewhere along the line, whether it be now or surprise loss against Argentina in the group, I think could actually help them. I hope there's no surprise loss against Argentina. Well, if it's a surprise loss against Argentina, there could be a surprise loss for Ireland against France. So. <laughs> um, what do you think of the South Africa versus Argentina game? Avoid last place. Will, it, will you be watching it? Will anyone be watching that? I'll probably, uh, probably have an eye on it if, uh, if I can. I think South Africa looked very good first half against Australia. I think they've a couple of minor changes to make and they'll be ready for the World Cup. Um, I'd worry about drawing South Africa, uh, especially because they can kick. And that is one part of Australia's game that's really lacking. But South Africa know how to kick in play and for goals. Yeah, I think if that game was in Argentina, I think a case could be made that South Africa, they can't win the title. They they just blood some new players for the World Cup, but with it being in South Africa, I'd say 20-point win. 
20 point win for South Africa yeah I'd say so um, so there's a World Cup warm-up game as well on Saturday Ireland v Wales over in Wales so um, do these squads tell us anything before the World Cup or is it all hush hush I think Joe pretty much knows who's going and who isn't um, it's good to get a, get some match sharpness but the only worry is that some of the teams are playing like Wales and England like they're big physical games and there is the risk that we could come out with a few injuries and I think we just need to be careful and maybe don't overplay our our senior players. I think for this game, I it's one thing that, that I wouldn't worry about is that I think the fact that we're playing Wales twice in the space of three weeks, I think this game will very much be a, all right, if there's, if there's fringe players he wants to look at, if there's players who need game time, I think it'll be the one in two weeks that will be closer to, to, to the World Cup starting in 15. I think if you can get someone like an Earl starting this week and maybe score a try or two, and maybe you can take a claim, I think this is more for people breaking into the 31 rather than any of the 15 kind of who starts for Ireland isn't going to be decided at any stage over the next three or four weeks. It'll purely be who gets slots 27 to 31 in the squad. Hmm. Do you think these games are important? Like, if if you win this or if you lose this, it, does it does it matter? I don't think the result matters too much. It, it can obviously have build momentum, but I think it'll be more looking at combinations because you're probably going to look at a patch of a team. You're not going to look at 15 that are going to play when it comes to the group games. It'd be interesting to see the, the combination at 9 and 10 because obviously it's a big step back uh, from Murray and Sexton. So i kind of like to see who Joe's thinking of to be the, the backup to those two. Mm. Do you think Jackson will get the nod ahead of Madigan? I think probably his second choice, but I think Madigan covers that range of positions that he'd probably get a place on the bench before Jackson. Fair point. I'm sure I'm sure we'll be discussing the Rugby World Cup in a lot more detail and squads, etc. in future, future episodes. I think most definitely hopefully. <laughs> Um, just finally with the rugby did uh, any of you see the Pacific Nations Cup to be honest I haven't seen much of it at all but from from the looks of it I think there's two or three teams in that tournament who really could I think for for the first time properly cause upsets I think if you look at Tonga last time against Fiji or against France sorry and if you look at teams like Canada and the US I think they've grown from the last time and I think if, if it's not this World Cup, it will be 2019, where one of those teams finally breaks through and causes a big upset. I can't see Fiji doing it in their group, unfortunately. Probably the best team in that tournament, and obviously winning it. But winning it, yeah, 39-29 against Samoa. Yeah, I just... If, if they were in Group B, along with South Africa and Scotland, or if they were in Group C, along with New Zealand or Argentina, I could see them really causing an upset. But even if they beat one of England or Australia or Wales... I can't see them being in two of them. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think Fiji tend to come good every few years. I mean, as well as well now from uh, the French World Cup. Um, but like you said, I think the problem is that they're they're in the group of death this year. So uh, I actually think Samoa are going to get out of the group. I think that they're probably a better side than Scotland and I can see them getting into the last eight. I think if they did, whoever finishes second in England's group, 
even though on paper it looks like it's it's a nice draw, I think anyone who who right, for first in their group, but whoever gets Mo in the quarters, it's a physical matchup that they probably don't want at that stage of the competition. You'd be worried about injuries and stuff. Yeah, I would. Especially if you, if you look at Australia, I think if it was England, they're big anyway, and their pack was front up. But I think if you're if you're Australia going up against Mo in the quarters, you'll win the match. But I think you'll probably pay the price in the semis, or if they made it the final. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned like USA and Canada there. So USA beat Canada fifteen thirteen with a last minute drop goal. Just mention this because um, actually their number ten and he'll be the starting number ten for for the World Cup is actually an Irish lad. Did you know that? Yes. I just read it today actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so AJ McGinty is, is as he's known in America, um, former uh, Black Rock player. Yeah, so he uh, he actually grew up on my road. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, He's actually the principal of Black Rock's son. Ah. But, um, yeah, so apparently... I, I, saw, I saw the drop goal today and stuff, and apparently he's one to watch that he uh, could be decent, but he's, like, declared for the US and stuff through the residency rule. So there's no chance he will play with Madigan now? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, apparently he's one to watch now. It would be, it'd be interesting to keep an eye on him during the World Cup. Well, I think one of the, one of the, the great things last, last time around, 2011... Was the games between the teams like Fiji, Tonga, Japan? They were incredible games to watch because those those six and maybe one or two others they're at a level where they're one level below the Six Nations teams and one level below the Rugby Championship teams, but they're very close to each other and makes for a great it, game. It does. It really does. Like some of those last last time around were were the best matches. In, I think it was Japan and Canada played out. At a, yeah. A draw with a last minute try. They've had a couple of draws in, in over the years. Uh, very close yeah. games between the pair. I think Japan hosting in four years' time. I think they'll want to to lay some kind of marker. So if they can maybe get third in the group and then push on and hopefully grab a second if they get a decent enough group at twenty nineteen. Yeah, fair point. Uh, we'll move on now and have a quick about UFC. So I think Chris, this is where you're certainly uh, looking forward to. Yeah, well, obviously there was a, a big event in Brazil last weekend. weekend. Um, um, Ronda Rousey uh, started the show as usual. Um, Betty Kohaya uh, paid for uh, the, the nasty words she had before the fight. Um, um, she was so dominant, I think, I think most people most people are wondering that. Is, uh, is, um, are they finally going to make it to uh, probably not just yet. I know Cyborg has a fight at 140, um, so she's she's just trying to slowly cut the weight because obviously the UFC have maintained she'll have to get down to Ronda's weight if she wants to fight her. So uh, I think the most likely event is that um, Ronda's going to fight Misha Tate for a third time, and uh, I'd certainly look forward to that fight. Misha was the only one that took Ronda into the third round when they fought last, but. I'd say it, it'll probably be inevitable that Ronda would win that one again. I just have a couple of questions. When it comes to Cyborg, how difficult is it to lose 10 pounds? Bear in mind, your starting weight is already 145. Uh, apparently, it's very difficult. Um, according to her former manager, Tito Ortiz, who was a former fighter himself, he has said that um, she would be putting her life in danger and her future in danger if she was to make that weight. 
and that's why the UFC have been so resistant to the fight, among other reasons. Yeah. I see. Um, so, is it true that I've heard that in the last, in Ronda Rousey's last three fights, it's been a combined total of something like 88 seconds? <laughs> yeah, I could well believe that to be true. Um, she has said that she considers the most merciful way she can win a fight is to beat them as quickly as possible so that it's over. Um, she actually looked disappointed at the weekend that the fight was as short as it was. I think she really wanted to punish her opponent, but she just couldn't take the beating. What happens... I think you have to assume that she'll beat Tate again for the third time. I would say so. If she does that, and then this fight happens with Cyborg, or it doesn't happen, is it sustainable for her within... or? within the next year or two to have anyone else to fight or will she just have to leave the UFC and go possibly have have her film career maybe even the jump like rock wrestling wrestling. yeah like because she's so dominant that she could go away for a year or two and much like what happens in in wrestling is that when somebody eventually does come to a level where they think she's good enough to fight her she could come back in two three years I just don't think that that's something she wants to do. Like she may well do it, but she's always talked about having these projects and like being busy all the time. So like she has a fight camp, she does a movie, and then she goes and repeats the cycle. Because I think she has a clear idea of retiring in maybe three or four years' time. So I have a feeling she's going to fight as much as she can between now and then. Um, I think she, she'll just be happy to beat whoever's put in front of her. Obviously, she want to fight the best. And I think once she's there, like people are going to tune in to watch it. Uh, lots of people have compared it to the Mike Tyson effect when you know the opponent doesn't have a chance, but you still want to see it. See, that was my question, is that this is a relatively new phenomenon. She's the first, well, probably the, the first mega superstar female UFC fighter or female MMA fighter. Is While she's kind of at this level where she's so dominant... Is there a case we made where she can't bring in the crowds anymore to headline UFC and she's left maybe fighting on the undercard of, of another title fight? So it's like they're talking about Texas Stadium with Conor McGregor and Aldo and then having um, R- R- and, or Rousey and Tate on the undercard. Is there a case we made where this headlining UFC pay-per-views is a very limited time because she won't be a draw because she's so dominant? Uh, well, definitely not the undercard, I would say. Um, maybe the co-main. Um, well, yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, they've, they've done that before, and it's worked really well. Um, if if possible, the UFC have been uh, booking two title fights um, to, to try and pull in the numbers as much as possible, and they've they've definitely done that. Like, use Ronda as the co-main and then have another title fight as the main. I think that works really well, and if they do put that... Um, the event in Dallas together, there will definitely be two two title fights on the line. I would say. Yeah, I think that's. But after that, if that's Tate or if that's Cyborg, once that's happened, can you see her still headlining on her own main events? I think I think I think she's a superstar. Um, like she's appearing on TV shows in America that other champions can't even get near. Um, she's so well known and famous over the people that don't even like the sport know who she is and would tune in just to watch her I, suppose, um, yeah. I, I think we've got a way to go yet for people that are uninterested by Ronda Rousey fights 
Fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. That's a that's a great insight into the world of UFC there, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> My humble opinion. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to a few other sports that are floating around now. So, um, Stephen, I know you have an interest in Cork. Um, so, the GAA quarterfinals are on there recently. Was that a, a, a sly dig? <laughs> <laughs> For a long gone in, in, in both hurling Ever and Ever so slightly, yes. I would like, in fairness I'll, I'll, I'll probably watch most of them I think when it comes down to Cork I just think they're they're at, at a level now where for apart from the the Ireland final two years ago in the hurling they just don't have the players it's it's a team they've come to an era where the talent isn't there and regardless of who's in charge whether it be JBM or whether it be anyone else if a talent isn't there Unless you get something like what happened to Donegal, but even then they have talent in the football. I just think if with any sport, if, if the players aren't there, you can't win titles. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Dublin's run to the semi-final so far? People are saying they've hardly been tested. Is is this going to be a problem for them? <clears throat> I. It'll be a problem if they when they come up against Kerry. Um, Looking at the way they played last week, um, it's hard to imagine anyone could beat them on that form. Well, uh, seven sixteen to zero ten, something crazy. Like, I mean, the, the, the seven sixteen to zero ten, like that's definition uh, of a whitewash there. Kildare, like they just they barely got a touch of the ball. Like Kerry were just unbelievable, and then they were able to bring on bring Cooper off the bench. It was a uh, not a bad sub to have. <laughs> no. Come off score two three during your twenty minute win though, it's 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 definitely something to be fearful for Dublin. I just think with it, you you see this sometimes in other sports, like with tennis sometimes when you have the top four, when you have a, a Djokovic, a Federer, a Murray and um and Nadal, that the first five rounds in, of, a, of a Grand Slam tournament they're tested a little bit, they might lose a set, but it's only when you come down to the top four that you really kind of see where the, where the, the teams are. I think even if you look at Dublin, they try different things early on in the, in, in Leinster Championship because they could. They could, well, they could try it. The last 11 Leinster Championships they've won and they can only beat yeah. us put in front of them, really. That's oh, exactly. And, and it's getting to a stage now in especially football where because of, of the way the divisions are set up, that they're going further and further away. Teams like Dunn and Kerry and Donegal and Mayo they're just they're at a different level that the that the provincials and even the league become basically a training ground for for trying new things, bringing blooding players through, and it's only till the quarterfinals. And even <clears throat> look at the quarters this year. Three of the four games were were, were just so one sided. It was the joke. I get it. The only two games that matter are are the semis and the final. Yeah. What What do you think about Monaghan versus Tyrone and Mayo Donegal this weekend? Is it this weekend? Yeah, uh, this weekend. As far as I know. This weekend, yeah. Yeah, no, it is. Um, to be honest, Mon and Tyrone could go either way. I'm, I haven't seen the much of, of either team this year, so I, I'd say you'd, you'd have to go with, with the other champions in that one. I'd say Mon and by a point, maybe two, and then Mayo de Nigal could be, could be special. <laughs> yeah. I just think... Tyrone. No, 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 I was just agreeing with you. It could be. It could be very special. Yeah, I think it's the only one where you have 
two teams who could win the Ireland in the quarterfinal stage. I think Fermanagh, Kildare, Monaghan, Tyrone, realistically, uh, if they made a final, it would be an achievement. But I think this is the one with Mayo and Daniel, who who failure for them is, or making a final is failure. I yeah. think if, D- if they don't win in it, the semi-final bad for season. either Mayo or Donegal. I think Dublin would prefer Mayo. I think Dublin, even if Donegal haven't been as good as this season as they have in previous seasons, I think Donegal are almost built to play against Dublin. Yeah, and then we, we we all we all we all think Kerry will just uh, brush aside whoever they get. Yeah, I think it's safe to assume it's them plus one in the final. Yeah, fair enough. I yeah. agree completely. Fair enough. I'm sure we'll be coming back to that as it gets uh, as it gets closer to the final. Um, I know we finished talking about football early, but we'll have a quick look at the championship now. And uh, can any of the teams who went down bounce straight back up? Do you think? Um. I've said that I think Burnley would be the most likely unless QPR can keep Charlie Austin. Um, I don't see that happening, but if they do, I think they've got the best striker in the league, so obviously that would give them a good chance of getting back up. On a side note, where do you think Charlie Austin will end up? Um, I I thought Newcastle was looking like a strong possibility, but that's gone quiet. Um, I think maybe Aston Villa now, they've got the Benteke money. But I would imagine it will be to a Premiership side. I think he's too good for the Championship after last year. And is it a lower, yeah. lower league Premiership side rather than a top six or eight or ten? I would say maybe he could go as high as Spurs, um, especially if they sell Soldado. I think he may not start every game, though. That would be the only thing, and I don't know if he'd be happy with that. Yeah, I think when it comes to Austin, it's similar to what to what happened with Ings is that he's capable of starting for a bottom half table or bottom half of the, of the table team. He's capable of being a bench player for the top half. It's whether or not he wants to play or whether or not he wants to take money. I think he's, at his age, he should probably play because I think with three or four years before realistically he's, I think he'll be not found out, but I think he only has a shelf life of maybe three or four years before he becomes another championship player I think if, if it was me I'd go and play go to a team that guarantees you first team football yeah I think because if you if you look at someone who goes to a, a, a someone like an Ings or lasting like a Lambert for Liverpool if you're not going to get the game time the reason you're such a good player in this stage of your career is because They've played League One and they've been very good. And then they've gone and played Championship and then they come up with a team and they're starting every game. They've been on a run for three or four seasons where they're that they're on form. They're the striker for their team. If they didn't go and sit on the bench, I think you lose that spark. And it's very difficult once you lose that spark to get it back. Interesting, yeah. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I'd say that's a, a fair point. Just listening to what Stephen said and thinking back over what I said, probably the best fit would be Aston Villa. I think we, we've mentioned earlier that they're lacking in a striker and we know they've got money to spend now. Um, Tim Sherwood likes playing attacking football and they've got a, a couple of decent midfielders in behind them. Um, Agbonahor, obviously, with his pace. Um, Grealish maybe, might have maybe, an eye for a pass. Sorry? Uh, Grealish might have an eye for a pass or something. Yeah, exactly. I just 
he he would most likely be the first choice striker there and play every game in the Premiership. And if he did there well there for a year or two, then maybe he could look up the league. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who do you, who do you think will win the Championship? Uh, I've gone for Middlesbrough. I think uh, Stuart Downing going back there is a great signing for them. He he did quite well for uh, West Ham last year. And also I think Karanka is quite a decent manager. So they were close last year. I think they'll go that bit better this year. Yeah, Yeah, I I think with with two, three weeks to go in the season, it it really does depend a lot on who loses their player. We talked about QPR. They had Leroy Fair possibly leaving. He failed the medical today. He failed, he failed the medical. The medical. Yeah. yeah, failed the medical yeah, at Sunderland. Sunderland. That's the second time he failed one a couple of years ago at Everton. He's a he's a serial relegation man anyway. Oh, he, he is. Jinx for clubs. <laughs> so I think if you look at like if they lost Fair, if they lost Austin, they, they obviously lost Ferdinand last season as well. I think if is Barton if they could, um, no Barton's free agent, free agent now as far as I know. Yeah. I think if they can hold on to, uh, I think yeah, if they hold on to Austin, they can come straight back up. Which is, to be honest, with, with the amount of money that's in next year's TV deal, if QBR can keep them, even if they give them a, a, a new contract on higher wages, it's definitely worth trying because they could get 60, 70 million pounds next season if they get promoted. I think if he goes having the chance, I'd like to see if it's doing well, but I don't, I don't think they'll have the money. I think Middlesbrough is probably the, they're probably the best team. They have Karanka still there. Like you said, Downing was a great signing. Derby have to rebuild after what happened last season. I think it's probably you might see Leeds come back, but I think Middlesbrough is is probably the best bet. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I do. I think Middlesbrough probably is the best bet. Um, Blackburn have Jordan, your man Jordan Rhodes. Do you think he'll stay? I don't think he wants to stay. There's actually stories well, linking him with Middlesbrough. I think exactly. if him, that would uh, only strengthen what we said a few minutes ago. I agree. Yeah, I, agree. I think if Middlesbrough get him for twelve million, they're pretty much safe back up in the Premier League, barring a disaster. Yeah. Um, we'll move on have a have a little talk about golf now. So um, Tiger Woods is playing in one of the, his uh, tournaments there, the Quick Loans National there, last weekend. And uh, he had a few decent rounds. Um, what do you think? Can Tiger come back to his best? Can he win another major? Can he win a win another tournament? I think his, uh, his best is gone. Um, win another tournament, probably another major, I'm not sure. Um, he's had a couple of good rounds at majors, but... There's always been someone better, and I think with with the likes of Speed coming through now, it's only going to get tougher for him. Yeah, I think he'll always have the capability of winning one more major. I think catching Nicholas is. If you'd asked me four or five years ago, I'd say it was guaranteed, and now I just it, I just can't see it for him to. I think he's four behind currently. I think that's he would need to over the next year or two claw back a huge gap to the likes of McIlroy, the likes of Spieth, even the likes of people like Jason Day. He's 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 always there he's thereabouts. At the very least, yeah, Jay um, or Day Felder. There's, there's a lot of talent there he has to get by. I just think 
there, there is still one major left in him in the same way that there was almost a major left in Tom Watson a couple of years ago. I think he can still, if he can string together four rounds in some windswept course or some links course possibly, but you're talking about it's more likely than not that you won't. Interesting. Um, you mentioned McElroy there a minute ago. Um, Rumour has it that uh, he's booked in for a practice round at Whistling Straits this weekend. Will he be there to defend his USPGA title next weekend? I'm not sure. Um, it's it's still quite recent that he had the injury. Um, I've heard them discussing it on Sky Sports and the major issue is that because he's such an explosive golfer, he's going to be putting a lot of pressure on that foot. And it may, he may play, but I, I, I don't think he'll he'll defend his title. I I think he'll 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 do the smart thing. I think if he goes out and he feels he's fully capable of winning the tournament, he'll play. I don't think he's someone who's going to play to show up. I think if he doesn't, he can win the tournament outright. You you won't see him next week. He uh, put a, a short twelve second video up on Instagram earlier there of him him training the gym. And showing movement on the ankle and stuff. Um, it'll be interesting to see. But I do think he'll probably make the smart decision for his career. I, I think, yeah. It, it's the right call. Un, un, unless he feels through practice rounds that, it, that there's no impact on the game. But like I said, it, it was a pretty major injury. If you risk coming back, even though it's the last major of the year. And in his head, he might go, well, if I'm injured for the next three months, it doesn't really matter. I think... I mean, when you start, we go back to earlier talk about someone like Falcao. If you start trying to rush back from injuries, it, it can hamper you for years. Get a proper recovery and make sure it's fully healed for going back. Yeah, like he's he has. If you include the Masters or the the, the Seniors Tour, he could have thirty more years of golf. There's no point throwing it away over one major. If you, you listen, Rory, don't more. be stupid. Is what Stephen is saying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so have a quick chat about uh, cricket now in the Ashes I know Stephen I know you uh, have an interest in this well just from pure sports it's I know as in it's, it's, it's a sport that I, I watch every every time the Ashes are on it's one of those things like the World Championships in snooker or the Tour de France you get these events where when they're on you just have to watch them They were, it was always on in my house growing up but just especially this one, in the past has been a dominant team. But it seems as though in this time, every single test is a dominant team. But it keeps changing. Like You had England who were very, very strong in the first test. Then Australia came back and won by I think, 400 runs. And then they're bowled out twice in three days in, in the third test. And they're missing Anderson for the fourth test. So all roads point towards Australia winning the fourth. And then coming down to what could be a classic fifth. Because... They're not great teams. Like these two are both. They're good. They have some good players, but neither one is dominant. I think if you've any interest at all, just keep an eye on it because there could be some fun. I've heard that uh, England's last seven games. I, I think the streak goes: win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. So yeah, I think you could be right that a loss is on the cards if it's going by that streak. Yeah, like they have a couple of games like Joe Root. Looks like he's going to be possibly the next Kevin Peterson when it comes to talent in the English batsman. He just doesn't get out early. Speaking he's in of there for thirties, forties, fifties. Speaking of Peterson, what, what what do you make of that whole situation? 
Oh, it, it, it's over. He'll continue to make his money on playing things like the IPL, and but there's no way back from He's burned too many bridges, and they've burned too many bridges to him. From a political standpoint, though, it like, looks for me like he's still got the ability to be involved. Oh, yeah. No, of, of course. In this, like, he could still play Test cricket for England. They don't have the luxury of... of 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 going seven eight deep in their batting. If you look at Bell, he can be superb one test and then look like an eight year old kid the next one. It's just once you once you go again, you leave tours. The amount of of chat he's had with with England captains, past and present, you just can't walk back from it. Uh, who, who's at fault? Do you think? It's the. There is no one. There's no one person at fault. Peterson had a huge ego, and it's the reason why England brought him into the setup. It's the reason why he was so good for them. But it's also the reason why he's he's ended up being being kicked off tours and not not welcome back. It's when you have that kind of talent and that ego, you have to manage it. It's like I don't know Ibrahimovic in football. It's as long as it's working in the direction of the team, he's a brilliant player to have. But if he's not working for your team the way Ibrahimovic was at Barcelona, you have to get rid of him because he can be a disease for your team. Interesting, interesting. Um, finally, I know both of you are into your running. Um, so just uh, with the IAAF, what about all these doping allegations? What do you think? Um, I suppose I'm not surprised about the outcome. Like it's not a, it's not a sport that I would follow too closely. The, the organisation behind it, but I think with watching MMA and all, all the um, the new tests that they brought in to try and stop PED use, um, I'm not surprised that other sports are having similar problems. Yeah, I think in anything, and especially when. Things like when you have such an event like the Olympics aimed towards where you can get huge sponsorship towards it, you're always going to have temptation. I think if you look at people in the past who competed, the best example of cycling is that if you have people at the top who are supposedly clean when there's no one to overlead them, I think it's very hard to trust. Like they're, in the report came out, they, they name-checked specifically Farr and Bolt saying that they were not, they were not kind of people who are being investigated. I think if you're going to say the half of the champions in in the sport over the last decade, decade and a half, were on drugs, but these two superior athletes weren't, I think it's it looks very much as if it's somebody trying to protect the Bolt and Farah because they're good for athletics, because they're two big names in, and two big money draws around the world. Bolt more so, but Farah is a huge draw for UK athletics, and that's where a lot of money is. I think as soon as those names came out, I became a lot more sceptical about it. I think the the reason Farah's name was linked was because his coach was, um, was well, I, I don't know if he's been proved yet, but was certainly accused of being involved. And I think Farah came out afterwards and, and said that he would be standing with his coach uh, pending the, the trial or the findings. So that's probably why his name has started to be mentioned more than previously. No, what I mean is both and Farah were specifically named as non-dopers and not dopers. So like, we've had the last two, three months of Farah and his coach Salazar being talked about what happened with um, 
with Jalen Royal, I think, is his American compatriot, where there's potential of him being dope when he was still in high school and college. And if all these stories are coming out and then the main headline of this giant doping scandal is also, by the way, Far is completely clean. I just I look like I, someone I think the reason for that was though that his name was mentioned with the trainer. So I think that was kind of clearing up things like protecting themselves against any lawsuits. Oh, possibly, no, that's definitely a possibility that they don't want to be sued by by Far and and by Bold because they're such big names and because they have so many things like um, contracts lose where, where the figures you could be talking about millions in both cases, potentially tens of millions. Maybe that was just a smart thing by whoever leaked it. But I, I, when you go and specifically name people who are not dopers, I think it points toward an agenda. And as to what the agenda is, I don't know. I think by just leaking, saying the blood tests look abnormal, but there's no way of proving it. I just think it's... They might be telling the truth, but I think the that there's clearly doping in, in sport and in athletics. But to say that half of them were on drugs and that the blood tests were mixed is unlikely. Interesting insights there. Um, yeah, I suppose that nicely wraps up all those other little segments. Um, so coming towards the end of the show this week, we've got a few little regular spots we'd like to do now at the end of it. So... Um, First off, uh, we'll talk a little bit about fantasy football. So, um, if you guys had to pick one player from each position, so goalkeeper, defender, midfielder and striker, that you'd recommend people to definitely have in their team, who would you go with? I suppose, who's one question, should these be, as in budget buyers, or are you talking about the best of the best? Either or, whatever way you want to roll with it. If, if, if you need to squeeze them into your team, or if you feel the team has to have them no matter what. And work the team around that. Whichever way you want to roll with it. Okay, Chris, you want to go? Sure. Um, I think for me, probably, you look at Chelsea's defence. So I, I add their keeper into that, so Chelsea's back five. And you just look at the clean sheets that they're likely to keep. So I think Courtois, probably, at five and a half million, he's a... In the upper end of the, the price scale, I think he's probably well worth it if you look at what the points will get you over the year. And he's not competing with Czech anymore, so I think he's probably going to buy the majority, if not all of the league games. Cool, yeah. Yeah, I think if you, if you are going to go with Courtois at the top end, I think there's a couple of ones who are at the low end, the 4.5s, who will definitely start. I think if you look at Boris for Burnman, although he mightn't get a lot of clean sheets, I think the fact that he'll have a lot of saves to make could could get him a lot of points. And then with Brad Guzan starting for Aston Villa, which they given have moved to Stoke, and both of those, although they mightn't get into those figures for clean sheets, they'll have to make a lot of saves. Cool, yeah. Yeah. And um, what about your defenders? Um, I suppose one who was pretty good last year was Natalie McLean. Um, he, he played, obviously, in a, a very good defensive unit with Southampton. But I'd like to hope that with the move to Liverpool, he's going to be playing with better players, or at least Southampton players. <laughs> so, um, 
I just think he'll probably get a lot of the ball in attacking positions and I'm just hoping he can deliver for Benteke. So I think five and a half million might not be a bad shout. Yeah, I think we had similar conversations earlier. Darian is one of those. I think, yeah, he's five and a half million. Someone who will get you five, six assists, maybe might sneak two or three goals, as well as playing in a, a reasonably defensive team, Can will probably get you, like you said, Klein, Bertrand for the Hampton last year. I think he could be very good again this year. And then, then you have to try and guess which of the teams like Burnmouth, Watford, Le- Leicester have a good chance of, of having a couple of clean sheets and their defenders aren't going to be that expensive. I think if you're you're going to have to take risks because I don't think you can have three or four Liverpool, Everton, Chelsea, my own defenders. I think if you're going to go low, try and find someone you can get forward because if they're playing for teams who are going to keep clean sheets, you need somebody who can ideally a penalty taker or at least someone who's going to give you a CS from corners. Yeah, for for my keeper and defender, they're both with Spurs at the moment now, and I'm kind of going for a not premium price now. Larissa nets a five million, I think is is fantastic. I know it's only point five and different, but I think it's great value there, and especially if he does end up going to United, I think five million is fantastic for that. And then I've gone for a five million defender at Spurs as well. Is uh, the new to- uh, Toby Odderweireld, who was with Southampton last year? Yeah. That's a very good shout because he, I think he's 0.5 million cheaper than every other starting defender for them. Yeah. Really because of where he was last season. And I, I think that 0.5 million, I always think I try to save money on my defence and keeper so I can put that into my midfield and attackers. And I think saving those 0.5 millions here and there, I think those two could be good shouts. Yeah. Uh, what about your midfields? Um, well, a Swansea player actually I think is pretty decent value would be key. At um, five and a half million, um, he did quite decently last year. He got 129 points, and I think if Swansea kick on, like we were mentioning with Gary Monk, and if they if they get a top half finish, he's probably going to be a starter. So I think he could go close to that point tally of last year, if not beat it. I think for five and a half million, that's a pretty good shout. Yeah, I think when you look at the midfield, there's always going to be those three or four players who are in the 10 to 11 million pound bracket. People like Hazard, people like Sanchez. I think, realistically, you're only going to have one of those. So the real challenge is finding the other two midfielders. If you look at, potentially you'll have one expensive, two average priced, and then one budget buy. I think trying to choose those two from players like Mada, from players like Torre, from players like Christian Eriksen at Spurs, from Raheem Sterling at 9 million, I think choosing... Those two are that they're probably wearing and, and lose your fancy league because I think most people will load up on strikers. So it's trying to find the value in midfield and defence. I think looking at that, if as Chris mentioned earlier, if Sterling and Aguero can click, I think Sterling could be very good at nine million. I think matter it depends on if and how trusts him. I think early on he'll start a lot of games and he's always good for assists and goals, but. He can be in and out of my United team, and that's risky for spending 8.5 million on him. I think Ramsey for Arsenal could have another good season, and especially if Oxel and um, Sanchez are, are giving him space to run into. Interesting, yeah. Um, for me, it's the most expensive midfield in the game. 
in Hazard, he's 11.5 million, but he's owned by 57% of people. I think you can't not have him in your team. And I think top scorer in the game last year, 233 points. I think he can easily do it again this year. And I just think clearly 57%, so over half the people playing the game will have him. And they'll easily captain him nine times out of ten. And he could, like, you could just miss out if you don't have him. I think you just need to have him in your team, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think for every every game season, there's three or four players that you just you have to pick. And if you don't have those, you just have no hope. I think Aguero is normally one of those. In the past, it was Lampard, but obviously with, with, with both of those having gone in the last season, I think there's, there's scope for, for it to be a lot harder to choose your team this year because you don't have stalwarts like those. Fair point, yeah. And then you mentioned strikers is where it could be one one in loss, did you say? So who, who do you think for strikers? Um, I think, as you've mentioned his name a lot this year, Aguero is by far and away the standout striker. The problem being is that he costs so much more than everybody else. Like he's 1.5 million dear than the next, than the next um, highest value player. Now there, he's 2 million dear than Costa and 2.5 million and Rooney and he's pretty much forming in there than everybody else in the league so the problem comes do you choose Aguero and two average strikers or do you try and fill your front three with three good strikers I think that's where if you risk it with Aguero and he doesn't start games you could struggle but it's a big risk to not bring him in yeah pretty much summed up um what, I, what I've been thinking myself, he, he's been in my team, he's been in my team. Um, he's probably going to be the top goal scorer in the league with the, uh, the new th- triple points for the captain for one of the games. Like Aguero could to get close to 100 points for a game with that uh, stipulation. Um, probably against Norwich uh, in places of Juarez. But uh, that's the big question. Like, do you go all out for him or do you try and get two uh, very good strikers. Yeah, so to follow on with that point, I've kind of gone the other route and I've looked at these 8 and 8.5 million pound strikers and I'm going to Merseyside for both of them. Uh, Benteke at 8.5 million, I think Liverpool paying, what, 32, 32.5 million for him, he will start, especially for the first couple of months when Sturridge won't be around. And then over at Everton, then Lukaku at 8 million. As I said earlier, Everton don't have to focus on the Europa League this season, just the Premiership. And I think it could be almost a make-or-break season for Lukaku, so he has to do something, justify his price tag. So at 8 million for Lukaku and 8.5 for Benteke, I think you're getting two decent strikers there and you can still have room to manoeuvre with other players on the pitch. Yeah, I think Benteke for me is, of those two, even though he's slightly more expensive, I think you'd have a lot more chances with with Firmino playing, with Coutinho playing, and with Serge playing around him. I think you'd have a lot more potential for for, for major goal hauls than Lukaku will. Yeah, I'm sure he will get more opportunities. Liverpool probably will feed him more. I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I suppose we'll just tell you, we, have, we do have a league that if you want to join the league, the code is 58201-16729. And every week I suppose we'll keep you updated on how the three of us are getting on and who's winning and... Chris is quite competitive, so I'm sure he'll want to win this. Yeah, well, I'll certainly mention it if I'm winning. 
You might leave it for we'll, a couple of weeks. And we'll certainly mention it if you're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what the three of us are also doing is we're having a bet of the week. So um, we're picking five teams that we've come up with. So each week we'll be picking five teams to put together an accumulator. And uh, it will try and help us enjoy the weekend that bit more, I suppose, if it wins. So uh, this week Stephen and I will pick two teams each and Chris will pick one. So uh, who have you guys gone for for the ACA? Um, well, I, I've gone for Southampton as my one team. Southampton beat Newcastle, yeah? That's the one. And Stephen? Yeah, I must admit, it was pretty safe this week. I think it's always very difficult for the first couple of weeks to know where to stand, how new signings will settle, how players will come back from pre-season. So the safe bet was Chelsea at home with Swansea. And then, even though I think it'll be a tough game, it's Man City away to West Brom. Excellent. Um, I've gone for Everton to beat Watford and Palace to beat Norwich. And so when we put those five together, they came in at odds of just over 26.5 to 1. So if anyone else wants to jump on board with that, a tenner will get you a nice weekend, over 250 quid anyway. But um, I suppose that's the first ever one more round podcast. So uh, thanks everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, thank you, Chris, and thank you, Stephen. So uh, until next week, I suppose that's a goodbye. No problem, take it easy. Have fun. Cheers, bye. Don't get that. Come on, come on. Get back. Come on. Tommy, you don't need this. Tommy, you lose your finish.